Sophia and Mamdua, um, they were at our wedding. They were at our baby dedication of our son, at our ordination. <laughs> They've been really a part of our lives, but really before we even started the House of Prayer, I was actually in a meeting when I met Mamdua. There was like a New England leaders meeting. Um, and immediately my heart, you know, connected with his. And then when I got to meet Cynthia and his beautiful girls, which they were like children. <laughs> Do you guys all know the Rayad girls? Actually, why don't you all raise your hand? Stand up, girls. <laughs> um, but why don't you stand up, Cynthia, so that everyone can see your beautiful face. This is Cynthia. <laughs> um, but really, they serve on our board. Um, but they've really spoken into the life of who we are. I mean, to be honest with you, we started as the House of Prayer, and that's really who we are, and the church was born out of that. So even the planting of the church, they were a part of that decision-making process. So as you're hearing from him today, I don't want you to even view him as an outside leader coming in to speak. He really is a part of our family, and he really is a father in our house. So this might be the uncle that you haven't met yet. Um, but he really is a part of our family, and he really carries us and helps us in the decision-making process. So he has wisdom for us. And so um, he is a physician on the Cape. He has many other things that he's doing, but above all, he really is a voice into our community, and he's a trusted voice because he hears from God, and we trust him, and we love him dearly. So we love you. Yes, thank you. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. See some familiar faces and some new ones. I need God, so please pray with me, okay, to do this. Lord, we come before you. We have come here to hear you. Lord, as people gathered before you to hear you, you opened your mouth and you spoke words of life. So, Lord, please, you know my limitations. I ask you to be strong in my weakness. Anoint both the sharing that I do and the hearing ears so we all hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. What's on my heart to share this morning is the subject of having ears to hear And obviously, respond. As you know, Jesus repeated a particular phrase during his ministry numerous times. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear. In the book of Revelation in particular, he repeated this phrase seven times. Each time he was speaking to a particular group of believers in a particular geographical area, and each message was different, tailored to the condition of that church. What God, A.W. Tozer said, what God has to say to us at any given time depends altogether on our spiritual and moral condition. So, the scripture clearly contrasts for us People and generations who understood their times, such as Daniel, and I think you guys just finished Daniel, right? Daniel, who understood his times, 
such as the sons of Issachar, mentioned in 1 Chronicles 12.32, as having understood their times and knew what Israel ought to do. Meaning, they heard and they responded. Versus, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew 16.3. They said, he told them, you can look at the sky and know what the weather is going to be like, but you do not understand the signs of the times. And he wept over Jerusalem in Luke 19.14 because they did not understand the time of their visitation. So with that in mind, what could be more important than for us to hear what the Spirit is saying to us now? And if that's important at any time, it is far more important at a time when unprecedented changes are taking place before our very eyes. When the world as we know it is changing very rapidly across many spheres. There are two big concepts in the scripture that help us point, understand, get our bearing to where we are. The first is that the biblical truth is that God is sovereign over history and over nations. So when the scripture says in Jeremiah 10.7 that he is king of the nations, and what it says in 1 Timothy 6.15 that he is king of kings and lord of lords, these are not nice poetic phrases. This is reality. God is sovereign over history, over nations, over events. And there is a one story overarching history that is in Ephesians 5.27 that God the Father is preparing a bride for his son. And we know from Revelations, Revelation 7.9 that this bride is from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. So the history of God's dealing with the nations is the history of God preparing from those nations, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people for himself. So the history of God dealing with the nations, the history of the nations, is revolves around God's purposes for his people. This is why in Isaiah 43, God tells Jacob, I will give nations for your sake. So for the sake of the remnant, God will move things and will change the course of history. The second concept that helps us figure this out is the concept that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. After Paul discusses some of God's dealings with Israel, he says, and all these things ha that happened in the Old Testament have been written to us in the New Testament uh, as example to us. Meaning that we understand much about God's ways with man, God's dealings with man from God's dealings in the Old Testament. And this is also found in Romans 15, 4. So these stories in the Old Testament are not just interesting stories. They're very relevant for us to understand, interpret what God is doing, and get our bearings. They confirm, they confirm the witness of the Holy Spirit 
as we listen to what the Spirit is saying. Amen? So, what I'd like to do is take a quick journey through the Old Testament, give you five snapshots of Israel in the Old Testament, and they will be like pieces of a puzzle. As they come together, they will give us an idea, they're relevant to where we are today. The first snapshot is in the book of Exodus. Israel's glorious exodus from Egypt was preceded by a shift. We find that shift in Exodus 1.8. It says, and there arose another king in Egypt who did not know Joseph. Prior to that, Israel was comfortable in Egypt. Egypt was home to them for about 400 years. But Egypt, Israel, was not made for that. Israel was made for the glory of God. For it to be a dwelling place of God. So in order for God to propel them to their destiny, he removed the comfortable situation that they were in Egypt So that they cry out to God and it set in motion events that they reach their destiny. To the extent that when the glory of God risen over Israel as God uh, delivered them with a mighty hand. uh, uh, Rahab told them in Joshua chapter 2. We have heard of your God. So that shift that happened in Exodus 1.8 triggered in motion or set in motion changes on two planes. First, the judgment of God on Egypt and the glory of God on Israel. These two dynamics. And I think we are in a similar situation where we clearly sense a shift happening in the condition of the church, both in the United States and elsewhere. It's almost as if the church was somewhat at ease in the world, relatively speaking, but the heat is turning up. Things are changing. There is persecution is on the rise. There is a social shift uh, in, in the you know. <clears throat> In socially, politically, and so forth. And that shift seemed to be setting in motion that same thing that happened in Exodus. Whereas it will set in motion God judging principalities and powers that hold a region in darkness, that hold God's people, and at the same time, the glory of God rising on the church. This is what Isaiah 60 talk about. Arise and shine, for the glory of God will rise upon you. Darkness will cover the earth, and simultaneously the glory of God will be seen over you. So this is actually what happened in Egypt, where darkness literally covered Egypt. At the same time, God was glorified in Israel. It's very interesting 
to understand that sometimes when shift occurs and difficulty takes place, sometimes it's actually what saves God's people. There's a very interesting verse in 1 Peter 3.20. 1 Peter 3.20, it says this. It says that Noah was saved by the water. Some translations say through the water. The actual, uh, the, the most close, the accurate uh, description is by the water. Meaning, Noah was not saved from the water by the ark. He was saved by the water from the pollution around him. So, the judgments of God at times can be saving. The same concept is found in Ezekiel 36-33. As Ezekiel, God is speaking about the Babylonian captivity and, what, and, and now he is going to uh, set the people free through Cyrus. He's saying, after I have cleansed you. Meaning, he viewed the chastisement of the Babylonian captivity as cleansing. And it's very important for us to understand these things because, again, God at times has to judge principalities and powers that hold a region in darkness so that he can be glorified among his people and revival break through. The end result is that the revival does not look like, uh, you know, life is normal sometimes. It comes in the middle of disruption and chaos. So this is snapshot number one. We are in a shift. And of course, the shift is very obvious with the Supreme Court decision, with the talk about you know, the, the gender identity, with the rise of persecution, internationally with the rise of ISIS. There is something going on that is unprecedented on a global scale. Snapshot number two. It is an established biblical fact that God uses the unrighteous, he uses evil people to awaken, correct, and chastise his own people. That should not come as a surprise because this is in the full counsel of God. I'm going to give you two examples of this. <clears throat> so we must not view events as merely geopolitical or economic events. We must view events through the lens of God's word that God moves history and accomplish his purposes. Let me give you two examples of how we can see events differently. If you study history about the Babylonian Empire in, in history books, it will tell you that King Nebuchadnezzar was an ambitious you know, dictator. He wanted to expand the influence of Babylon, so he came and conquered Jerusalem. But the word of God tells us something differently, that God was dealing with Israel at that time. And in Israel had departed from God, so God raised prophets, he raised Jeremiah to beckon, that, beckon them to him. And in Jeremiah 22, 21, God tells Israel, I have spoken to you in your prosperity, but you did not listen. So in Jeremiah 27, 6, he says, I will bring my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, and I will give him all this land. This is a heathen king, and God is referring to him 
as my servant. He, by the way, he says the same thing about Cyrus, my anointed one. So even heathen kings, even evil people do the will of God, even, even if they don't know it. The second example is a fascinating uh, scripture in Isaiah 10.5. This is, I'm going to read this because it's very interesting. So in Isaiah 10.5, Assyria is another evil empire on the rise. And they are destroying everything in their path. And this is what God is saying. Woe to Assyria. He, named, he called Assyria the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath. I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey, and to, dread, uh, to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Yet he does not mean so, nor does his heart think so, meaning... They don't know that they're doing the will of God. But it is only in his heart to destroy and cut off not a few nations. And then after God uses evil people for his purposes, he judges them. He destroys them. We see that in verse, um, after that, where is it? Verse 12. Therefore, it shall come to pass when the Lord has performed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem that he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his haughty looks. To be honest with you, I cannot help but think about news clips of ISIS in their Toyota trucks and ISIS flags destroying everything in their path. Is it possible that God is giving them temporary success to awaken the church in the West. <clears throat> so that's snapshot number two. Number three, God always raises prophetic voices to speak to his people. At that time, in the time of uh, prior to Israel's Babylonian captivity, he raised Joel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and then even during the activity, uh, during the Babylonian uh, captivity, he raised Ezekiel and Daniel to call people back to him. And the heart of God is just expressed in an amazing way in Jeremiah 36.3. His eagerness to extend mercy. He says, perhaps the people will hear. So here God is beckoning his people through the prophetic voices. He says, perhaps the people will hear and turn from their wicked ways, and then I will relent from judgment. And then after, in that chapter, after the king uh, burned the prophetic words, the scroll, he told, uh, again, Jeremiah in 36, 30, 28, go again, go again, and write everything that I told you, and go again to the king. So today, God is raising prophetic voices to speak to the church not only in America, but all over the world. I thank God for this church because this is a prophetic church. And there are many prophetic churches, not just in the United States, but all over the world, having understanding of the times and speak 
they speak the same language. In fact, I was surprised that some of my friends in ministry travel to places that are normally known to be very secular, like Switzerland, Austria, France, and God has his remnant over there. They speak the same language. Snapshot number four. Just like in Jeremiah's time, where we had the true prophetic voice of Jeremiah, along with the voice of the false prophets, today we have both the true prophetic voice and we have the voice of the false prophets. And just like in Jeremiah's time, the false prophets have a large following. I hear things such as, God is always in a good mood. There's no such thing as judgment. There's no such thing as a storm coming. And this is really what the false prophets of Jeremiah said. Peace, peace, when God said that there is a storm coming. As if that God is in a good mood, meaning his kindness is an expression of his love and his discipline is an expression of his mean nature. Whereas we know that both the kindness and the severity of God are expression of his love and zeal for us. Amen? Number five, the fifth snapshot, is that God always gives us time to respond. In fact, even after he initiates his chastisement, he gives us a pause, a lull to respond. So, for example, the exile of Israel took place over many years. First, the northern kingdom was exiled by Assyria, I believe. And then there was a period of many, many years in which God was raising Jeremiah and he was telling the southern kingdom, Judah, listen, look, to what hap look at what happened to the northern kingdom and respond so this does not happen to you. So this, this understanding of a lull period or a, a time to respond is very, very important in us interpreting our times now. Same thing happened in Joel. In Joel chapter 1, there was an economic crisis where the locusts consumed the crops. So there was famine in the land. In and this is when Joel chapter 2, the famous passage, when Joel cries out, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, and so forth. And he was warning about the coming invasion by the Babylonians. So in that, between Joel 2 and 1, there was this sort of time or pause in which God was wanting his people to respond. Whereas... Sometimes we interpret this as, well, everything went back to normal anyway. Things always go back to normal. And this is where the false prophets versus Jeremiah interpret events. So it's very important. We, in the United States, we've had, over the last two decades, we've had s several shakings and pauses in between them. We've had 9-11. Hurricane Katrina, the economic collapse of 2008, and then things are picking up recently with this San Bernardino shooting and this, you know, and so forth. But there is a pause for us to respond. So, 
to sum up, these are five snapshots that sort of get together, give us a picture of where we are. Number one, there is a shift. and We can clearly sense by the witness of the Holy Spirit that there is a shift. The purpose of that shift is to propel us into our destiny. But that will also trigger some challenges coming. And number two, God uses the unrighteous to awaken his people. And we must interpret events not merely as geopolitical events, but as God's hand behind them. Number three, God raises prophetic voices to beckon us to himself. Number four, we have to beware of the false prophets. And number five, um, God always gives us a pause, a lull period to respond. Now let's look at five responses from God's word in times like this. What are the appropriate responses? Well, the first is in Joel 2, a very famous, very familiar package to this congregation, to you know, a lot of people. Joel 2, 15 to 17, blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, gather the people, and so forth. This means that one response is to speak, to blow the trumpet, meaning we need to share the sense, share what God is showing us to other believers. We need to make other people who are not aware, aware. We need to gather the people, we need to assemble, we need to give ourselves to prayer and fasting. Because we are in sort of a lull period between Joel 1 and 2. Number two, we need to, it's time to cultivate intimacy with God. This is what Jeremiah told the people before they went into captivity. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight. Meaning, this is not a time, this is the Israelites were just about to go to captivity. He's saying, this is not the time to depend on your own wisdom, on your own resources, on your own strength. This is the time to cultivate sensitivity, to hear the Spirit, because there will come a time when you need to hear, this is the way, turn right or turn left, because your life might depend on it. <clears throat> Number two. Number three, it's very important, there are very specific instructions to people who are about to face a storm to respond in faith and hope and not fear. So the very famous passage that we are familiar with, Jeremiah 29, 11, we encourage each other with it all the time, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil. Uh, the actual context of that verse actually is given to people in the middle of the judgment of God. So in the middle of the judgment through in the Babylonian captivity, 
God is giving them a word of hope. Hope is a central tenant in our faith. Faith, hope, and love. So we never, ever, ever, ever lose hope, even in the middle of a storm. Number two, along the same lines, we need to understand that the scripture clearly says, teaches, that God protects his remnant and his eyes and on the righteous, even in the middle of a storm. This is a very interesting study. For example, God took note of Noah. He noticed one man and his family, and he saved them before the flood. In Jeremiah 40, verse 4, the very same day, very same day that King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem is the very same day that Jeremiah was saved from prison. So the king had put Jeremiah in prison because he refused to hear the prophetic words. So Jeremiah was in distress. And then as God came to chastise Israel through King Nebuchadnezzar, he took note of Jeremiah and he made sure that he got out of prison. In Ezekiel 9, I'm going to read this, verses 4 to 6. God is giving charge to some of his angels to execute judgment on Israel. And then it says here in verse 4, And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. And then the second half of chapter 6, it says this, oh, sorry, verse 6, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Meaning, that even as a storm comes, God marks his people and protects them. We see that same scene in Revelations chapter 7, verse 3. It says this, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And the reason it's important for us to know that is that gives us a reason to respond in faith and hope and not respond in fear. Amen? And it is in this context that we read things in Psalm um, 91. It says, a thousand will fall on your left and a thousand will fall on your right. In normal life, under normal circumstances, when you come and go, this sounds like a nice poetic thing. But in times when there is a storm, this becomes actually your testimony. So this is uh, number three. Number four, we need to align our thinking with God's thoughts, our priorities with God's thoughts. There's a very interesting chapter, small chapter in Jeremiah 45 that speaks of this. So Jeremiah had a scribe named Baruch. And Baruch was writing down Jeremiah's prophecies. And Jeremiah was 
saying all these, you know, challenges are coming, all the judgment is coming, and, and then Baruch really got very depressed, as you can understand, you know, it's very discouraging. So, you know, Baruch says, you know, I, I don't like this, basically, and God basically was telling him, align your thinking with my thinking, don't think about your comfort and how your life will be disrupted, think about my purposes. Let's read it with that, it will make sense like this. So Jeremiah 45, the word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he had written these words in a book at the instruction of Jeremiah, in the fourth year of Jehokimon, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch, you said, Woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow, I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. This is upon hearing the prophetic words of Jeremiah. Thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built, I will break down, and what I have planted, I will pluck up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. For behold, I will bring adversity on all flesh, says the Lord, but I will give your life to you as a prize in all places, wherever you go. Meaning, again, I will take care of you, I'll protect you, but align your thinking with my thinking. This is very re relevant to us now. We need to align our thinking with God's thinking. As a storm is coming, we need to think not about the disruption, perhaps, of our own comfort and so forth, but God's agenda is for him to be glorified in the church, for Jesus to be known, and for many unbelievers to come to Christ. Amen? And then, finally, the last point is to understand where this is going. And it's just going again in Ephesians 5.27. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. If the worship team wants to come up, because I'm just about to close here. So basically, to sum up the responses, we need to give ourselves to uh, fasting and prayer, to cultivate intimacy with God, to respond with hope and not fear, and align our thoughts with God's thoughts. Would you please stand up with me as I read a couple of verses that are relevant? Just to listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I'm going to close with reading a couple of verses. Isaiah 52. Awake, awake, put on strength. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourselves from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Romans 13, 11. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Amen. You know, we have a lot of time here. And that's good because I think a response is necessary. And so 
just want to encourage us just to clear our minds, clear our hearts for just a little bit, and to absorb this word. Just ask the Holy Spirit how it is that we are to respond, and well, if you'd lead us in a little worship, and we're just going to trust in the Holy Spirit.